Hello, my name is Dr. Anushka Nithyanandan, and I'm a Research Development Manager at LSE and a member of Embrace, LSE's Black and Global Majority Staff Network. Embrace was created to build and foster a diverse community of cultural exchange across LSE. Since its inception, the network has grown in its advocacy for issues advancing race equity for students, academics and staff. Embrace the Journey is a four-episode podcast series taking a look at Embrace's history over the years, speaking with the leaders who have shaped the network since it was founded. In this episode, we sat down with Marianne Wanicki and Ikena Ocholanu, who co-chaired Embrace during the peak of the COVID-19 pandemic and global Black Lives Matter protests. We also caught up with Ariola Akande Pierre-Noel, who led Embrace's Fair Recruitment Advisors Project, sits on LSE's Race Equity Steering Group, and worked closely with the Embrace co-chairs as part of the senior leadership team. Welcome, welcome. My name is Koja PJ, and I'm the host of the Embrace Journey podcast series. Today, I am joined by the wonderful, astounding, inspirational trio of Marianne Waniki, Ikena Ocholonu, and Ade Akande Pierre-Noel. Uh, we're going to be talking to these three fantastic people about their time serving as chair, co-chair, and um, generally leading Embrace through a really difficult time, um, not only at LSE, but across the globe. Uh, this this was a group of people who chaired Embrace and, and led Embrace through the tumultuous period of Black Lives Matter uh, protests in, in response to George Floyd's murder and the COVID-19 pandemic, and, and fostering a a really strong community at LSE in an online-only environment. So handing over to the uh, first amazing speaker, Marianne Maniki, who, who was chair and then later co-chair of Embrace. Um, Marianne, a warm welcome to you. Please do tell me a little bit about yourself and who you are. Hi, uh, yes, thank you. Um, so yes, I'm Marianne Waniki, and um, I had the privilege of being chair and co-chair of Embrace. Um, it was interesting because I started my journey at a time where we were just getting into to COVID, the murder of George Floyd didn't happen, and it was kind of like happy days. It was lots of events, lots of stuff, and then we moved into a period of serious work that needed to be done. Um, so I spent my time at LSE for about 11 years, uh, working in a, various different roles uh, within careers, within program management, within alumni relations, um, and it was a real privilege to be able to work as chair and co-chair and to meet our community. So just kicking off with your experiences as co-chair with Ikenna, uh, drawing response to George Floyd's murder and the start of the COVID-19 pandemic, obviously, I imagine this was a huge challenge to deal with. Um, can you talk about how you address those issues at LSE? Yeah, goodness. Yeah. How did we address those issues? To be honest, when it comes to um, any form of huge change that is affecting a large population in the world, it's quite difficult to be able to have those conversations because people are still processing the reality of what was going on. So we had COVID, no one knew what that was. No one understood it. There's lots of unknowns, a lot of fear that was bubbling up. Then we had racism that's always been there, systemic, ingrained, but then it was still a new thing for people because all of a sudden, because of the pandemic, 
people had to be at home. People had to engage with these conversations. They saw an innocent man get murdered because of his race. And all of a sudden people realized that this thing that they kept in the dark, it locked away in a closet, they actually had to talk about it. So actually being chair of Embrace at that time was a really difficult time because all of a sudden we had to get people to articulate the very thing that they've always tried to avoid. We had to get people to look at inconsistencies, biases, racism in the workplace and outside of the workplace and find a language to be able to talk through that. And that was difficult. Um, the best way that I had to maneuver that was allowing people to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And how do you do that? You provide some comfort. The comfort comes from, let's have a coffee, let's have lunches, something that's familiar, something that's communal. And in that moment of having coffees and lunches with people of different roles, different seniorities, different priorities, let's start talking about what's really going here at LSE, what's happening here at LSE. Let's talk about recruitment and some of the unfair practices. Let's talk about bullying and harassment. How are you experiencing that? What have you seen? What do we do about it? So that was really the approach that I wanted to take. And that's how I started to allow us to grapple with these tough conversations and to rally um, with other groups as well, staff, other staff networks, working with students, alumni, and as a community, starting to walk the path towards some form of tangible change. Thank you. I, I do hope we get a chance actually a bit later on to discuss the idea of community and fostering that in an online environment. But before getting to that point, um, taking a look back at the legacy of Embrace, I've spoken to Daniel Beckley, Marlene Worrell um, about their own perspectives on Embrace's history and um, future direction. And I'm, I'm very, very curious to hear your take on, from your own experiences, how you managed to balance the legacy of Embrace and paving a new way forward at such a difficult time. Yeah, that balance was a really difficult balance to get, right? Because there's competing priorities. Um, there's priorities in terms of our black and brown community really wanting to socialize, to have socials, to, con to connect, you know, to form those deep, meaningful relationships, to have fun, right? Because these communities were very much aware of racism. They live it, they breathe it, they experience it, and they've got to navigate it. So that community wanted to just to connect as human beings, as people. At the same time, the world is waking up to racism. The world is now ready to talk about it. We need to be able to mobilize ourselves to be able to push for action and change. So it was a difficult thing to have to balance out. And so the privilege that I had was that I wasn't working on my own. I was working with a large committee of individuals who were committed towards helping us to achieve those two aims. Um, and I spent some time as chair really thinking about what does our priorities look like? How do we bring the fun? How do we organize the events? But also how do we have those tough conversations? Who in senior places do we need to engage and talk to? And so it really did require a clear, clear, clear objective, you know, typical, you know, um, leadership operational uh, management principles. Let's get a clear aim, clear objective. Let's sort ourselves into project groups. Let's have key priorities, sub priorities that can then support the overall goal of bringing the community together to engage in conversations around race, to engage in conversations around change, and also to accept the fact that, you know, um, 
Black and ethnic minorities are not a monolith. We come with different experiences. Let's ex- let's let's embrace um, the the richness of the sort of the tapestry of our experiences. Um, so yeah, lots of organisation, lots of teamwork, and then also being really strategic around what do we need to do now for today? What do we need to do now for tomorrow? Do you? Is there a difference in your experience in your time serving as the chair like the solo chair of embrace and then later on the co-chair um did did the experience change for you or did it largely stay the same it was massively different um because i became co-chair i think it was so i went from being chair and that was just before the pandemic really sank in and the murder of george floyd happened so that was in a way easy sailing day-to-day conversations really easy then of course the pandemic happened George Floyd was murdered. The world was stunned. People wanted to talk about it. And I needed to have a wing person. I couldn't do this on my own. Um, and so becoming co-chair meant, well, actually, what does it mean to work in partnership with another leader who was a Kenner, of course? How do we divide up our responsibilities and speak to our strengths? Um, and so that meant for me actually learning to share the responsibility at that level but also it meant for me and Ikena learning to really put out a clear message to our committee. What is it that we stand for right now and how does that look different? You know, so we've gone from bringing the community together, having lots of events, really just showcasing um, cultural differences to now being a committee that needs to hold LSE and its senior leadership to account. Being a committee that has to ask those tough questions a committee that is going out there wanting to see action and follow up from promises that have been made. So actually, it was very different. It was very different because we had to learn to be tough, but also learn to be very approachable. And that's a hard balance to to gain, really, isn't it? How do you have a conversation, a heated conversation with senior academics, with um, senior professional services staff, um, talking about the real um, lack of representation within senior positions, lack of representation um, within the academic um, ecosystem, whilst at the same time remembering that you are all human beings, at the same time remembering that in you know an hour's time you're all going to have some sort of social together and you're going to laugh and joke, how do you create that balance? And so it was a very different um, season um, being co-chair because there was so much that needed to be done and a lot of accountability uh, that was placed on myself, Andy Kenner, and the and the committee to be able to prove the purpose and the weight of our existence. Thank you. So you mentioned uh, how during this time you've now gone from being focused on bringing the community together to moving towards holding to LSE account, having difficult conversations, pushing the idea of representation and highlighting just well, the lack of representation, particularly in senior roles. Um, but taking a step back, I mean, not even taking a step back, actually, but looking a bit a- around this structure, um, this is all being done in an online-only environment, a purely virtual environment um, at this time. How did you foster community amongst Embrace members in this space? What was that like? Because I'd imagine you can't, it's not so much a case of, you and Ikena and Ade and the leadership team saying, hey, we're going to have these tough conversations. We're going to do this, we're going to do this. But there was really a sense of community and love and warmth amongst us. And I wanted to just hear from you directly how you 
how you fostered that, how you facilitated that. Um, I thought it was really amazing. So can you uh, elaborate slightly? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think you are spot on in saying that there's lots of love and community. And to be honest, I think myself, Ade and Ikenna, because we ourselves had that connection with one another, there was a lot of love for each other and the, the similarities and the differences that we brought to how we connected. I think that permeated through in terms of how we then connected with the, the rest of the, the, the uh, committee. So let's start with Ade. So working with Ade was really such a privilege because she is someone who is so focused on achieving goals. She's clear on what she wants to get. At the same time, she has a huge heart for people and their well-being and their self-care. So she had all these great ideas of actually how can we ensure that when we meet as a committee, we are meeting as human beings, we are meeting as people. And so finding ways of, you know, when we meet, let's talk about one thing that we are grateful for. Let's show gratitude for what it means to be who we are. And that was quite a nice thing that we started introducing into our committee meetings. Everyone going around and just taking time to talk about one thing that they are grateful for. One thing that they are really happy and excited for in the middle of this storm of, um, you know, um, Black Lives Matter, George Floyd's murder, pandemic, all this stuff, right? And then working with Ikenna, He's an individual who has such a warm heart, um, but he's someone who's always like, right, how do we move to action? How do we make this work? And that was great because he had this great balance that he would bring in terms of let's have fun, let's be creative, let's laugh, but also let's find a way of weaving in the action into what we were doing. And I think those personalities helped us to be able to create an ecosystem that recognized time for fun, time for self-care, time for being ourselves and also time for being able to move to, to, to action. Um, and I think also just taking the time to recognize that we were a group of professionals from different departments, different divisions coming together to be able to create change for our people, for our community and doing it as volunteers. And so that means our currency was passion. We were doing it because we were passionate about making a difference we were doing it because we had love for our community we were doing it because we had hope for the change that our words our actions would be able to create for our community and I think that's what really became the foundation of our work together meeting as people as human beings who've all had varying degrees of challenges in their experiences but people who were also resilient and optimistic about the future that we could create. So that, um, and also finding ways to have fun with our community, right? Um, having various showcases, getting everyone to showcase their talents, uh, having coffee mornings, an opportunity to just hang out and meet with people, um, finding ways of having lunches when we could. So we just, we tried to make the most or out of a situation that we knew was complex, a situation that we knew wouldn't be solved in a day. And to be honest, it's still not solved. Racism is still here, it still exists, but we found a way of having that sense of urgency, but also having that sense of community in the middle of that storm. Thank you. Um, so rounding off, sorry, I, re I really wish we can talk for a lot longer. I think there's, there's so much to unpack here, but there is a, a very like important question I, I do wanna get to. And, and hear your take on, um, given how influential you were in advancing race equity at LSE, uh, working with so many different 
um, groups, communities, uh, stakeholders, in, in and inside and outside of the school, um, what do you think LSE needs to do to continue advancing race equity? Yeah, what does LSE need to do? Um, well, I think LSE needs to continue that sense of urgency. Um, it needs to ensure that the work and the burden doesn't just fall on people of color to be able to make change. Um, so really, really simply, the fair recruit an advisor position which ADE was so instrumental in, in, in sort of getting it off the ground, that needs to continue. Uh, there needs to be a review of how that's working, how they can continue to expand that, how they can continue to ensure that it's achieving the goal that it's supposed to have. That needs to happen and be prioritised. Secondly, um, LSE really does need to look at its senior leadership. There isn't any representation of black and brown individuals on there. What can it do effectively and quickly to be able to create that diversity? Because if you don't have the right people at the table, nothing is going to change. People are motivated by the things that they connect with. If you are not a minority ethnic, you will never fully understand what it means to live and breathe as a minority in a, a community. And so you need to have the people who understand those stories to be able to create change. So LSE needs to ensure there's diversity, diversity in its senior leadership, diversity across its community. Um, and also, what else does LSE need to do? LSE needs to develop a system whereby it is holding itself up to account. It is finding ways of benchmarking, finding ways of showcasing change. What does that look like? That looks like the race um, equality charter that looks like getting consultants in to be able to clean things up and being able to showcase those changes to its community. So I would say that's what LSE needs to do now, um, really. Um, and also, finally, LSE needs to find ways of paying Black and Asian minority ethnics who are doing the work in EDI and not just relying on their goodwill, their hearts, um, and their passion for change, but also finding ways of compensating them for that. And I know myself, Ade and Ikena have spent some time actually voicing that out because actually there shouldn't be a tax on, 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 on this for those who care about it the most. Thank you so much. That was a really thoughtful response and I'm excited to continue uh, this discussion with Ikena right after this and then also Ade as well. Marianne, I want to say thank you to you for your time. I think you're a true force of leadership, passion and focus and both embrace and LSE as much as there's definitely work to do, um, wouldn't be where they are without you or what they are without you. So thank you so much for your time um, and for your contributions today. Thank you. Uh, Ikena, hey. ending over to you. Greetings. Uh, if you could tell me about yourself and who you are. Who am I? My name is Ikena Chalanu. I have been at LSC for just over three years. And um, prior to working at LSC, I was working um, within higher education and working on scholarship programs and leadership programs to help young people get access to elite institutions like LSC. So the work I'm doing right now at LSE is I'm, I'm managing the Ugla Family Scholarship Program, which is a program that is funded by LSE's uh, probably largest donation ever. Um, it's a scholarship program for undergraduate students 
Black and minority ethnic students, low-income students, parents and carers, and, and all the works, you know? So we're trying to create a, an avenue for students to come in. Um, and what else is interesting about me is I am, as you can tell from my accent, I am from the States, um, but I have been in the UK for six years and I've been working in education and higher education in both the States and the UK. So it's interesting to me to be able to compare, contrast and, and see some of the, the challenges that persist with regard to race in every context that I've, I've worked in. So I'm really excited to be here today. So um, casting back to your time as co-chair of Embrace, uh, you worked and served as co-chair with Marianne uh, during the response to George Floyd at the start of the COVID-19 pandemic, or near enough, um, which must have been a challenge. Uh, can you elaborate uh, or like sort of paint a picture for how these, um, how did you address these issues at LSE and how did, uh, yeah, broadly, how did you, how did you tackle the, the, these issues? It's good that you asked that question right now. Actually, as this is being recorded, uh, just two days ago was the two year anniversary of the murder of George Floyd. And just thinking about being a leader at LSC and of the community during that time period, it was a struggle. It was a struggle because no organization, no institution could pretend anymore that they were doing the work that needed to be done. It was a, it was a moment where the staff was able to put a mirror in front of LSC and let some of the LSC leadership know we see that you're not doing the work. And so I think that moment was a particularly difficult moment for two reasons that come to mind now, because one, our focus was really on trying to protect our community. Our community was grieving. We were going through a difficult time and it was triggering all of the different experiences that we have had at LSC and beyond uh, with regard to microaggressions with regard to any sort of hate speech, uh, any sort of uh, discrimination and, and lack of recognition. I think all of those things came to light, especially for our Black staff. And it was also a moment where we had to advocate. So while we were grieving, while we were dealing with our own mental health, while we were trying to uplift the community so that they could feel like they could wake up and go to work in the morning, we also had to sit in these meetings and push for basic things that should have been given to our community years ago. And having to communicate them in specific ways so that so that those who were able to create that change had enough evidence to motivate them to create that change. And so I think that was, that was a challenging time. And also it was challenging because part of the beauty of our community is its multiplicity, is, is how different we are and how we navigate these experiences so differently. But in that moment, when we were advocating, we had to become a collective and we had to have one shared voice and working with 
Marianne and, and Ade was so pivotal for that because we all worked in different parts of the school, had connections to different communities across the school, and we were really able to bring together a variety of voices when we were talking to high level administrators or talking to senior leadership. And so that was that was an interesting time. And then to have a pandemic on top of that. <laughs> I'm laughing now, but you have to laugh not to cry. Like it was it was a it was a trip. I'm not going to lie to have that pandemic and and have a completely different working environment, completely different expectations, um, because I think that our community really had to to do the brunt of the work to keep LSE moving. We had security staff, we had cleaning staff who were coming in during the lockdowns, who were putting their bodies at risk to make sure that the students felt comfortable and to make sure that there was a space for LSE to continue working. And, and we wanted to make sure they were recognized and they were, they were protected and they were given what they needed to feel safe. And then there was also just virtually, there was this change in dynamic where instead of just having the work that you're meant to do, you have the work that you meant to do. And then you have back-to-back -back meetings that were just this new phenomenon of how people did work. And so you are navigating this pandemic, you're navigating the Black Lives Matter movement happening globally and, and new events happening every day <laughs> and having to address those while at the same time uh, protect your community and advocate for them at LSC. So it was it was a trip, but also it brought us together. So I, I, I'm not saying this to complain. I'm just saying it to share the reality of what was happening at that time. Brilliant. Thank you. Um, that was a really uh, comprehensive, I think, overview of the situation that you were faced with. I want to take a step back slightly. So if you can cast your mind back to before you took on the co-chair position, um, you mentioned earlier that you worked, you've worked in education and higher education in the States and the UK. Did, did this role as co-chair pan out to be what you expected it to be? You know what? I didn't know what to expect. You know, so the story around how I became co-chair is I was, I was friends with Marianne. And I met Marianne when I started working uh, in a role in the Faraz Lalji now Institute for Africa. So in that role, I was doing some work that was supporting the career journeys of African graduates and current African students at LSE. And Marianne had that career experience. She had worked in LSE careers for, for a long time and she had other roles across the school that informed that. So I, I met with her and I was just trying to pick her brain. And then that just formed a relationship. and. Over time, she got to know me and she kept hinting at like, I'm in Embrace, maybe you should be in it too. And eventually I was in it. And then she was like, we need another co-chair. <laughs> maybe you should be the co-chair too. And I was like, I don't really have time, Marianne. I, this is a, a new job. LSE takes time to get used to because the culture is very unique at LSE compared to some of the other universities I've worked at. And eventually, I think she wore me down. <laughs> and then Ade was added to that as well. Ade had a way of, of passionately communicating the purpose of communities. 
And I think that was useful for me to get me back on track into doing the work that needed to be done at LSE. So I joined that. And then I guess the environment before, before the pandemic and before the George Floyd murder, I think it was, it was more relaxed. I think it was, it was still a very kind of professional and um, kind of competitive. I wouldn't say completely competitive, but a professional com competitive culture is something that I think LSE has that's unique to it because of the types of students it attracts um, and also the type of staff it attracts. And I think that took getting used to, but then when all of this stuff happened, it was a completely different world. And it was a completely different experience. Um, and I was just grateful to have people like Marianne and Ade to have my back and to lift me up and, and to be able to do that for them as well. And the whole committee as well. Thank you. Okay, so you're now working as co-chair with Marianne, uh, leading Embrace. How did you manage to balance the legacy of Embrace and paving a new way forward? And I know you've mentioned how difficult and challenging the situation you're working through was. So maybe your mind wasn't on legacy and what, what, what are we building? But I'm curious, just did you, how much of that did you think about or consider um, during your time? I'm someone that really loves history. Um, and I think just my personality led me to want to know what the history of Embrace was. And Daniel was an incredible resource because Daniel has been at LSC for many years and Daniel is a force to be reckoned with at LSC. <laughs> he's working in, in, in the security division, but he's he's tied to networks all across the school. And this is Daniel Beckley, right? Yes, Daniel Beckley, yes. We all know Daniel. When you say Daniel, it's Daniel Beckley. <laughs> Yeah, he's a force. And so I think meeting him and then talk, meet, interacting with him at the committee, I think it was something that just spawned my interest in what the history was. And I think we did incorporate a lot of the history into our advocacy. So when we had a presentation to the directorate about what LSE Embrace was trying to do across the school, we started from the history. We started that this was created with the intention of bringing community to the black and minority ethnic staff at LSE. And so it started in this cultural approach where it was really having dinners, having, having meetings, having coffees and meeting up so that people felt like they had friends at LSE and people that they could talk to about the craziness that happens at this place. Um, and so that was really something that was important that informed our approach because during the pandemic, that was probably the thing that brought a lot of us through. I, speaking for myself personally, if I did not have the Embrace committee and community during the COVID-19 pandemic, which is still going on, but just during that period when it was the two years of lockdowns and uncertainty, there, the Embrace Committee lifted up my mental health. And being a Black man and being a Black gay man who is in a space where there's not a lot of us, 
and then seeing images of other black men being killed on television um, on a regular basis, um, not to say not only black men are the ones that are being killed, but I, in that particular period, George Floyd was the focus. And so I needed people like Ade and Marianne to keep me focused and keep me uplifted and to help me not take things too seriously. Marianne is amazing at that. <laughs> Marianne is amazing at that. And then when you need to vent and you need to get angry with someone, um, Ade is the person to listen to you. <laughs> she, will, she will give you perspective and she will turn that anger to passion. And so I think those were the things that were so pivotal um, to the hit from the history that we took and tried to continue during our time as co-chairs and senior leadership. As you were talking, it made me think about how fundamental Embrace was as a structure for my own mental health when I was at LSE. And also thinking back to, I, I didn't realize, maybe it just clicked to me a bit differently. You're the one who actually introduced me to Embrace in the first place. <laughs> when, I, when I started at, at LSE, again, I, uh, Kenna and I worked both at the Firoz Lauji Institute for Africa together. So this is me one month, maybe a month and a half into my time at LSE. And you took me along to a film screening that Embrace held together with Spectrum, uh, Paris is Burning or you put mm. me onto it. Um, and ever since then, I was like, this is the community, you know, I was searching for. And I we immediately went straight into a pandemic, like not long after that, to be honest. Yeah. Um, but Embrace was a staple for me and was quite easily my favourite part about being um, an LSE staff member. So thank you. I appreciate Ikeda. you saying that. <laughs> I appreciate you saying that. And you touch on another thing with this joint event that we did with LSC Spectrum, which is the LGBTQ plus staff network. It was kind of Embrace's role at that time period to be concerned about intersectionality and not intersectionality in a way where you are so concerned with every single protected characteristic that ultimately you can't do anything because if it doesn't involve all the protected characteristics, you're not doing good work. Embrace challenged that, that idea because we saw that as a stalling tactic. And so we just did our own work, reaching out to different staff networks, trying to do joint events, trying to do different conversations and meetups. So we worked with LSE Power, which is the women's staff network we worked with LSE Spectrum and which was it's the LGBTQ plus um, network and held events and tried to build community, um, especially in a way that was also educating them about the experience of black and minority ethnic people and particularly at that time of black people at LSE. Um, and I think that that was a useful approach for our advocacy. And I think that a lot of conversations were made possible because of some of those ways that we reached out. And ultimately I heard from other staff that, I don't know, that they felt like they understood and wanted to support some of the efforts that we were doing as a result of that, which just elevated kind of the work we were doing. And so, 
one, I am just grateful that I could do the same thing to you that Marianne did to me <laughs> and, and really build community within ourselves and in the committee. Um, but also to acknowledge that our community also built community with other groups across the school. And ultimately, I believe that that was uplifting and supporting the mental health also of other groups across the school too. We are pressed for time, so I do want to begin to draw this to a close. On this point of LSE broadly and building communities with other communities and intersectionality, and basically the school is an amalgamation of all these different groups, there's all these different communities all pushing ideally in the same direction, but not always. Um, what do you think LSE, and maybe I'm referring to LSE from the top down, but do feel free to take this from whichever angle you prefer, but what do you think LSC needs to do to continue advancing race equity? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. The first thing that I will say is diversity is not the same thing as race equity. I will say it again, diversity is not the same thing as race equity. And the reason that's important to me is because LSC really, really identifies as a diverse institution, which in some senses it really is. There are a lot of international students. There are a lot of different perspectives. There are um, people coming from different backgrounds um, to the school to study, but that does not mean that there's race equity. And the experiences of students and staff who are in black and minority ethnic protected characteristics are not positive from what I've seen in many occasions, especially during that time period of, of the pandemic just rising and George Floyd just rising. And so I think the first step for me that LSE leadership um, needs to continue to focus on is to recognize that yes, we can celebrate our diversity, but we can also acknowledge that there's a lot of work we need to do for race equity. And I think that two year period that Marianne Ade and I were advocating was that moment where they were able to acknowledge that. And I think that next to that, we need to have policies and initiatives that support that. To, to acknowledge that and to advance race equity. So some of that work has been done and, and has been spearheaded by members of the EMBRACE committee. So the BAME mentorship program, I know Tosh had a huge role in that. And she really was the key person that moved that across the finish line and, and working with all the committee, of course, um, but I just wanted to recognize her specifically for that. Um, the fair recruitment advisors. So band seven and above, there are very few individuals that identify as black and minority ethnic at LSE. And so we identified that, there was data to back that up, there's evidence and individuals like Ade were just key in making sure that those policies went forward. And again, we worked at it as a, as a community and as a committee but Ade was the champion uh, who was working to make it go through, but also making sure that it wasn't free labor 
<laughs> if this is work that LSE wanted to do, they needed to put money behind it. And they needed to support the fair recruitment advisors with compensation. And she was the champion for that. And so definitely grateful to Ade and her passion. Um, and then, I mean, just having a seat at a tape at the table, which I think was Marianne's key message. I mean, she came up with this idea of saying, we want a seat at the table. So in committee, committees across the school, the race equality steering committee, I was on the LGBTQ plus steering committee. Uh, Ade was on a number of committees uh, in her professional role and as with Embrace, having a seat at the table so that our community's experiences were part of that conversation. That was another important aspect that needed to happen at the top and that needs to continue to happen if we're gonna continue to progress race equity. But aside from the things at the top and the policies and the initiatives, ultimately, I think the culture of LSE needs to um, reevaluate itself. And sometimes that can happen with a critical mass of, of students and staff joining the institution. Um, we were pushing at LSE, we were pushing for the race equality charter mark because we know that with advanced HE, often that is a recruitment tool for black and minority ethnic staff. And so that's a project that embraces still supporting LSE to consider and work through. But I think the culture can only change with increased representation, but also increased conversations and conversations that are real, not conversations that are polished, not conversations that are focused on bringing the top Nobel Prize academic to speak on it and teach us what it is, but really to listen from the bottom up what our real experiences are, make sure that people feel as if they're understood and listened to, and then taking action based on that. The town halls that LSE has run is a starting point for that, but continuing that conversation and then also showing the community through action, real action, not just collecting data, is a way that is gonna really improve the culture of LSE and progress race equity overall. With all that being said, not everyone will share this opinion with me, but I, I have interacted with individuals um, that have been amazing champions, but such as Andrew Young, um, who is COO, he's been an amazing champion. And that's, uh, that's a, a great way to continue to connect with senior leadership, not in a way that is combative, but in a way that is building a team and working towards race equity together. And one of the key attributes of Andrew that we at Embrace really recognize is his ability to be wrong, admit if he's wrong, and then work to fix things. And then also to share his opinion and experience honestly. And that's something that we really value that transparency because that's needed for us to move forward in race equity and improving our culture overall. Ikena, you're a true legend of embrace, along <laughs> along with Marianne and Ade um, and and the other co-chairs, uh, chairs I spoke to earlier, Marlene, Daniel, and, and the current co-chairs. I think you're all such fantastic fantastic examples for what embrace has stood for over the years what it will continue to stand for and advocate for and support 
Um, so I'd like to just take this opportunity to say thank you to you for um, your time and your incredibly thoughtful answers. Um, I'm glad I you mentioned I like, Tash. I like to talk a lot. I like to talk a lot. So <laughs> I appreciate you. A little bit, but it's, it's, it's a gift. It's a gift. <laughs> um, I'm speaking to Tash next, uh, who you mentioned earlier, and also Ade right after you, actually. Um, so I'm excited to kind of continue this discussion with them. Um, but thank you for your time. I do hope you have a lovely day. Thank you. So I now have the pleasure of welcoming Ade to the conversation. Ade, can you tell me a little bit about yourself and who you are? Hey, Kojo. My name is Ade Ola Akande Pianoel. My first name means crown of wealth and my surname warrior has come. My husband is French and his father is Haitian. My married name, Pierre Noel, is formed of two first names taken from the Christian calendar, Peter after the saint and Noel for Christmas. After slavery, it was quite common in places like Haiti to form a surname in this way. I am British Nigerian. I wanted to share that because embrace is about cultural exchange and also to say that our names have power and meaning to us. I am the center manager for the Phelan United States Center. The Phelan US Center is a go-to university hub for timely, relevant commentary on the US in the UK. Amazing, thank you. So you worked really closely with Marianne and Ikenna as part of the senior leadership team for Embrace. I wondered if we can start off by you talking a bit about the key strengths of the coaches. They say you get the leaders you deserve and given the results of the Brexit referendum, that seems quite apparent, but I believe Embrace got the leaders it needed. It was an absolute pleasure and a privilege for me to work alongside Marianne and McKenna. What people didn't often see behind the scenes is just how hard they worked for this network. After the George Floyd murder, we were no longer simply just a staff network. We were a place of safety, refuge, belonging, friendship and advocacy. And that was because they led from the front. They were authentic leaders. They were visionary. Um, they made themselves accessible. They were fiercely intelligent, diplomatic, graceful and very generous with their time. They were committed to this network. And it was through them being supportive um, and dedicated that we were able to achieve so much. And they had a cracking sense of humour. I believe they raised the profile of Embrace. They gave it real visibility and it gave it negotiation and influencing power. Their work had what I believe is great impact and, has, and, and will leave a legacy um, through the consultations and the conversations and the committees and the meetings and events that they hosted. Continuing on from that point of legacy, uh, can you speak about your achievements for Embrace? I wondered if we could hone in on maybe what you would describe as your most important achievement, which you led on for Embrace, considering you worked across a ton of amazing projects. Uh, what stands out to you when you reflect on your time? Thanks, Kojo. Um, another, another good question there. I'd like to talk about the FAIR recruitment advisors. Uh, the introduction of the FAIR recruitment advisors was a, a, a pilot initiative back in September 21 is when I believe it started. And it has been developed to improve the representation of black, Asian and minority ethnic staff in senior professional services role at LSE. So the role of a, what we call an FRA is to promote fairness and transparency during interview panels. It is a recognition that BME staff are simply underrepresented at senior 
leadership levels, and the initiative seeks to increase BME representation. The fair recruitment advisors are all employee volunteers who have identified as being from a BME background. What was my role in this? So back in February 2020, I saw a poster in the lift of a NHS Foundation Trust Hospital where I'm a governor. The poster was promoting diversity champions. I forwarded that poster to a colleague in HR and EDI LSE, and I've been advocating and campaigning for FRAs to be introduced to LSE since then. At the time, I was the Embrace lead for recruitment, progression and representation. So I was working alongside Embrace colleagues and colleagues in HR and EDI, right really from inception all the way through to design, policy and delivery, including the earlier consultation with colleagues from UCL who had been running a similar initiative for a few years. So Embrace came up with the name and we ensured that our membership were consulted all along. I'm actually now an FRA. I've completed about nine odd hours of training to be an FRA and I've already sat on a number of panels. So what we hope to see from this alongside anonymous applications and FRAs are these are just a few approaches to tackle race inequality in recruitment and progression, but it will take time. And this pilot has only been running since, like I said, September, October, 2021, but we hope to see real impact from these initiatives and schemes. Um, and I believe this will be one of Embrace's lasting legacies. And maybe this is something that's LSE could scale up. My hope is in time we see FRAs sitting on panels for academic recruitment too. The Fair Recruitment Advisors is an amazing piece of work, which I'm glad LSE has taken on board, uh, thanks to the work of you and the Embrace community. What do you think LSE needs to do to continue advancing race equity? Yes, another great question. Um, I think LSE needs to address its past, I think it needs to be restorative in its presence and innovate and trailblaze in the future. So what does that mean? That means that we can be creative with race equity and see it as an opportunity rather than a burden. I would like to see greater focus on more black and global majority staff in senior leadership positions and career progression opportunities. More BME academics, our students and staff need to see greater representation. So the LSE has what's called the race equity framework, which is the strategic plan for advancing race equity. And I believe the LSE needs to commit to applying to the race equality charter mark, which is about improving the representation, progression and success of black, Asian and minority ethnic staff and students within higher education. So just those are some of just some of the approaches I think we can work towards if we want to advance race equity. Uh, beginning to draw to a close, but I want to ask you one more question on a much more positive note. I'm very curious to hear about what you most enjoyed from working with Embrace and leading Embrace when reflecting on, again, your the, the years you've spent uh, developing this amazing network. What did you most enjoy about your Embrace experience? Um, oh my God, there are so many to name, but the one that stands out the most, and maybe because of why it came about was what we called the LSE Chill Black History Month special, which was the closing ceremony for Black History Month in October 2020, which I organised. It was about bringing the community together to celebrate, because obviously this was after the murder of George Floyd, and we, we needed to have an opportunity as a community to come together and to celebrate. 
it was a wonderful opportunity for staff and students to get involved. And we had spoken word artists, poets, classical musicians, singers, dancers. It was such an incredibly uplifting experience. And I think it was what was needed at the time. And I just wanted to say a massive thank you to you as well, because you were also involved as a committee member of the time and you hosted the event. So thank you for that. Um, and then also just, I just quickly want to acknowledge, we did some really amazing fun watch parties, um, which got lots of great positive feedback and we welcome colleagues from across the LSE to that. And that was really where we often talked about some quite tough subjects, but in an accessible and in a fun way. So those were some really memorable experiences. I, I did just speak to Ikenna about the Black History Month event. And that's also like a standout moment for both of us. I had a great time hosting that and, and working with you. So I'm, I'm really glad to hear that, that that's also a favorite experience of yours. Well, yeah, so just, just to round off, I wondered if you had any final comments uh, you wanted to mention or to leave us with. Yeah, I would actually. Um, thank you for the opportunity. Um, I just want to mention the importance of intersectionality. Um, so I'd like to just give a shout out to the other staff networks and the incredible work that they do. Um, I also just want to use this as an opportunity to say that Embrace is a staff network for black and global majority staff. But if you don't see yourself or your community or culture reflected in the network or LSE, come and join us. Um, you can just go online and become a member um, and you will be able to subscribe to the newsletter. We can only speak with authority about our own experiences. So please come and share yours so you can be included in the conversations and your voice can be included. And then I think the final word really needs to go out to our frontline colleagues in security, housekeeping, porters. They keep us safe and secure every day and particularly throughout the pandemic. Um, it's important to note that a lot of those faces look like mine and they've earned our respect and our thanks. What a lovely, uh, powerful note to end on. I think the invitation to join Embrace uh, as such a warm and welcoming community, it would absolutely echo. And I think that's 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 a lovely um, uh, invitation to, to, to put out. And also um, just shouting out our frontline staff as well, who work tirelessly over the years um, and Embrace has done a fantastic job of continuing to shout out their work and support them. Um, Ade, I'd like to say thank you for, to you for your contributions today, but also across the years and continuing to do so. Um, Embrace, <laughs> I said the same thing to Marianne and Inikena and, and it absolutely applies to you, but Embrace would not be where it is without you. So thank you so much for, for everything you do. Thank you. And thank you, uh, yeah, listeners. The, this is the end of the episode. Please do check back in for the final episode of the series, episode four, where we will discuss with the current co-chairs how they will continue the amazing legacy of Embrace and the, the ideas that they currently have for the network. Thank you for tuning in. Join us for the final episode of this series where we will sit down with Yvonne Olushoga, Tash Darling and Charles Ebikemi, the current co-chairs of Embrace, steering the organisation in a new direction following some tumultuous years.